0: We're at the crossover of baseball and football seasons, and we talk Royals and Chiefs today on Sports Beat KC, the sports podcast presented by the Kansas City Star. I'm your host, Blair Kirkhoff. Royals beat writer Lynn Worthy tells us why he thinks the Royals were quiet at the baseball trade deadline, and what's in store for the Royals as they play out the string. Later, we'll hear from Chiefs cornerback Kendall Fuller on playing the slot corner almost exclusively this season. All of this on Sports Beat KC. The Major League Baseball trade deadline has come and gone, and when there's a trade deadline, there are winners and there are losers, at least portrayed by the media. And I've seen some of the, the winners listed as the Astros, and I get that because of the Zank, Zach Grinke acquisition, I, the Nationals, maybe the Braves, the Indians. Some of the losers, um, the Yankees didn't add to their rotation, the Red Sox uh, didn't do much, um, a couple of others, Kansas City Star Royals beat writer Lynn Worthy is with us, and the Royals, not listed among the winners or losers in any list that I saw, Lynn. Um, but it's not like they were inactive throughout the you know the last couple of months. They they made some moves. They just didn't do anything near the deadline.
1: Yeah, they and they didn't see any sort of big name players take you know either coming or going. I mean, for the Royals, well, that would be like a you know a Whit Merrifield or a Danny Duffy or an Ian Kennedy, guys whose names you know people recognize or veterans, established players, and whose names had been out there reportedly in different areas. You didn't see any of those guys move, so it sort of gets pushed aside. But for them, I think there's some small victories in terms of the guys they did move: Jake Diekman, Martín Maldonado. Um, Homer Bailey. The fact that those guys were going to be potentially gone at the end of the season and you got things back for them and in most cases things that you you know that they direly need like you know depth in the farm system and uh, potentially a starting pitcher a guy Mike Montgomery coming back to the organization. Um, For the Royals those are I would at least say small wins and we'll see in the future how you know maybe they're bigger wins depending on what those guys turn into.
0: The, The Diekman Deal to the to the A's. They got back um, Blanco, the outfielder, and uh, Aquino, uh, Ismail Aquino, uh, a pitcher. I saw some some saw some mixed reviews on that that the Royals might not have gotten enough. I don't know. Time will tell when it comes to that. I did like Deekman, and look, there you. you there's no reason to think that he might not be back with the Royals someday. That that happened. Terrence Gore was, uh, you know, was rented out for, you know, to the Cubs and, and it was back with the Royals. And now, of course, he's gone, too. And, and um, uh, so... You mentioned Martin Maldonado. I think it's interesting. He's on his second team since leaving yeah, the Royals. Yeah,
1: and I had actually um, posted on the website, I mean, because they went back to Houston this season. He got traded from the Cubs – I mean, he got traded from the Royals to the Cubs and the Cubs to Houston. Houston seems like a place that he probably should have been to begin with. Um, going back to, you know, the off season, there was the report that he had a deal in place um, that he turned down that it would have been a two-year deal. Um, and then he was sitting there through the first, you know, probably three weeks of spring training, just unsigned and, you know, doing work in, I think, Puerto Rico and just sort of trying to get ready for whatever was going to come. And when Salvi gets hurt, then it makes an opening for him. But until then, he was just sort of out there. Um, when, When the team went back to Houston, I talked to him in the clubhouse one day, just sort of talking about his time there. And I talked to a pitcher in Houston just about the feel that they had for him. And it sounded like... He liked the organization. He liked, you know, he had been traded there midway through the previous season. Um, He thought that it might be a long term home for him, um, but it just didn't work out. And he didn't, he wouldn't say specifically what he thought it was. Like he said, yeah, he sat down and talked to the GM and thought that it might be a fit. Um, They were going to keep, you know, communication open. And then he's sitting there through, you know, the first couple of weeks of spring training. Um, But. Like I said, he wouldn't go into detail. He thinks he sort of had a feel for why things didn't work out. Um, But then you just sort of look and say, well, before the Royals signed him, he had to change an agent (laughs) to get that thing actually across the finish line. So, I mean, you'd sort of put two and two together and figure that's why things didn't, I mean, he was a Boris client before and didn't get signed. It seemed like Houston was a fit. They liked him. He liked being there. And now he comes back around and ends up there um, for another playoff push. So um, it's uh, it was just interesting to see how it played out because having gone and talked to some of the people in Houston and talked to him about Houston, it like, seemed like that always should have been the fit. Of course, for Royals fans, it worked out well for them because when Salvi went down, you had a guy to plug right, in. Right,
0: exactly. A gold glove catcher, right? Yeah. The only guy who didn't, you know, besides Salvi, who had won a gold glove the last few years. Okay, let, let's talk about some, some specific players that are still with the Royals that were rumored to have have uh, been somewhere else. Let's, let's start with Billy Hamilton. You know, I, I, I thought of him as a speed guy off the bench for somebody, um, that somebody's going to be the Royals, right? Unless he's DFA'd, but, um,
1: uh, but he's going to be with the Royals now the rest of the way. What? You, just nobody interested in Billy Hamilton? That's what it seems like. It seems like at least maybe just not for, you know, to give you anything Back, it was worth trading you know I mean like if somebody um, if somebody felt that they wanted to take on and he's, he's making probably a little bit more money for, for that fourth outfield spot than yeah. you know or a speed guy off a bench than uh, maybe somebody wanted to you know pay for but yeah people just I think looked at it and you know they may have speed guys in their organization they may have guys that you don't have to worry about uh, you know trying to find time for them or you know I mean not that he's a problem but I just I think teams just didn't see the fit um, or they felt like they could still have time because you know, you look at the Royals right now, he really doesn't have a role other than the bench guy because they've started to transition some more younger guys into the outfield and they want to have them play every day. So Billy is just sort of, you know, here for the time being. Um, if they cut him loose, um, you know, and I think that now it would have to be them cutting him loose and then he could go into another organization and right. potentially get there before September 1st and um, he'd be eligible to sort of help somebody in the postseason or just before that, Push to get to the postseason. Um, So that's still a possibility. But I also don't know, you know, the the thing that jumps into my mind immediately is everybody figures, okay, they didn't trade him. They're just gonna cut him loose right away. I don't know if that's the case just because there's no urgency to cut him loose. You say, well, you can bring up a young guy. Young guy's not going to play <laughs> right, right now. You have you know you have Gordo. You've got Bubba who's going to play every day. Um, they're starting to play Dozier now in the outfield. Some um, they still you know maintain that Soler is not a full-time DH. They want to get him out there. And if Montes comes back at some point, you got to start playing Whitmore in the outfield. So whoever you bring up, Brett Phillips, Bonifacio, whoever you say, oh we get you know you you cut Billy loose and you bring up one of those guys, the guy's not going to play or at least doesn't seem like immediately he's going to play at least not, and then the other thing is, you bring him up, he's not getting the everyday at best he would get in Omaha, at least in, you know, unless you know September becomes different because then the season ends in the minors and it makes more sense to have guys up here, but um, until then, there's no real urgency to do something with Billy for, from the Royals' perspective, and obviously there wasn't a deal to be made for him. I think the Royals, by keeping
0: Whit Merrifield, have made the comment how much they like him, how much they want him to be part of This organization the Cubs were rumored to have had some interest in in Whit Merrifield I I think it would have taken a heck of a lot uh, for an exchange to have been made for Whit Merrifield so don't you see him as a long-term Royal
1: yeah I mean I think that in the 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 difference between say you know the deals they did make and a Whit Merrifield type deal is for Whit they would have wanted you know, like, I, you go back to, and it's not the same, it's not, you know, it's apples and oranges, but, you know, for a guy like Branky, when they traded him, they got back guys that they knew were on the cusp of being major league players that were, there was not a whole lot of doubt about them. These were low-level guys. I mean, you talk about Kane, uh, es- Escar, mm-hmm. uh, Oda Rizzi was in that one, yep. too. I mean, like, you knew what you were getting. For a guy like Witt to deal him, they would have wanted, you know, Top like major league talent that type of return exactly and also the Grinky, if I remember correctly was an off season deal as opposed to a deadline deal and at that point in time you know it's a little bit easier to facilitate taking away guys who are major league ready at the deadline you know teams aren't giving up <laughs> big league talent at least not a lot of big league talent um, if you're trying to make a playoff push so um, that's the difference and I think with wit I mean. Obviously, they love Wit. They feel like he's his versatility, what he's done. He's coming all-star for the first time. Um, he's not a guy that's just going to give away for the sake of giving away. The ask is going to be high, and probably should be.
0: I thought when the Royals went to Atlanta and won two games in a, you know, maybe two of the best days that the Royals have had this season, that that was almost like an audition for Royals players for the Braves, uh, who are obviously in in playoff contention here. Didn't turn out that way, but I wondered if there was maybe some thinking on the Braves when they were watching Ian Kennedy and Danny Duffy, who threw the ball really well in one of those games in Atlanta, that, that maybe one of those guys would have ended up in Atlanta. Didn't happen, but those were two names also that you kept hearing uh, rumored around the trade deadline, Kennedy and Duffy.
1: Yeah, you, you saw the reports that you know some teams were interested in them. I think just for both those guys, I think the price tag is the biggest thing. Is that they still have years left um, at you know making decent money, not off the charts money, but you know this is not you know bargain basement uh, that you're talking about with Kennedy and uh, Duffy. Uh, I think Kennedy, wanna, I'm not, i do not have it in front of me. But I think it's like 16 million that you're still talking about, like you know for next year after paying whatever's left this year. Um, and Duffy's still got two more years, talking about uh, in that same neighborhood, 16, 15, 16 million dollars a year. So Um, And it doesn't seem like there's really any appetite from the Royals to sort of pay down any of that money. Um, The team taking them would have had to take, you know, take that money. So I don't know that any team was really that interested, especially for a guy like Kennedy, who's now a closer. Teams have sort of shied away from paying that big money to closers uh, in the last few years. So... For him and Duffy to stay put, I think it was it was much about you know price tagging again, the fact that there's still years that they have left in the contracts.
0: I know it was different financially in 15 for the Royals, but they made deals that screamed we're going for it. I mean, to get Ben Zobrist to Kansas City, to get Johnny Cueto to Kansas City, they gave up a lot in the farm system for, for those two players, but I, they don't win. The 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 trophy without those two guys, and I'm just I th- I thought especially with Kennedy that somebody would be willing especially a larger market, you know we we've said that the um the, the Red Sox the Yankees the Yankees are looking for starting pitching not so much bullpen but uh, that somebody with uh, with deeper pockets might not have taken, uh, uh, Kennedy Kennedy's played pretty well. I mean, he as a closer, we had a consecutive save streak going for a while, maybe he still does at, at this point, but his, his numbers have been pretty good here the last, uh, after getting seems to be adjusted to the role of closer, he's been, you know, he, he's been pretty solid in, in that role. So, but he's still a Royal and will continue to be a Royal. I know he loves being in Kansas City. He's expressed that with, uh, with his, you know, with his family here and all. So, Nothing for the Royals at the trade deadline. Uh, they they will continue on with a season that is going nowhere. But as you mentioned earlier, they are getting, uh, you know, they are getting a look at a couple of guys, and one of those guys is Bubba Starling. We haven't talked since Bubba Starling has arrived in Kansas City, made his major league debut, and the defense has been there. Uh, he, we always knew that that would be Dayton yeah. Moore and Royals officials have said. You know, from the time they drafted him, he was major league ready defensively. It was always about, you know, Bubba in the batter's box. And that part's been okay. A little bit ahead of where I thought it would be. What have you seen from Bubba Starling in the the few weeks he's been with the parent club?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, I think the biggest things for Bubba, again, defensively, he's been what you what you expected. I mean, he's he's had some great catches, some great throws. I mean, he's he's been an, a, a guy who looks like he can handle center field every day. You know, right now, um, like that's not a problem. Um, he's been healthy. You know, this season, which has been the, the biggest thing for him since he's been drafted. Um, but offensively, he's not looked overmatched. Um, so when he came, first originally came up, and you know, he had decent numbers in AAA. But uh, when he first came up, I, um, I sent a message to a scout I know who sees all the royal system um, and asked what he thought about Bubba. And th- the main thing he said is, like, you know, there's still – there's still upside there because he's been so injured that you know he still hasn't had all that much time right. playing an, pro an incomplete ball. career. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So there's still upside, but he thought that he might have some trouble because of his approach being a little too passive, getting into some bad counts and in, in the big leagues that that's just going to put him in bad situations, and so that was sort of in my mind as soon as Bubba came up, and so as. Bubba goes on a streaky reach base in 12 straight games uh, 11 game hit streak to start his career the reaching base in 12 straight games tied Johnny Damon for the best start to a career in franchise history but the thing I started noticing is he had at one point he had 15 hits and 10 of them were in the first three pitches of the bat and I'm thinking wait a minute this is the passive approach and so talked to Bubba talked to the hitting coach and that was one of the things that they saw right away was the idea that he was just going to take pitches early like that's not going to work. You get like you know basically the same thing the scout had told me that you're going to get in trouble against top pitchers doing this, and so they made that adjustment early, like right out the gate. You got swing, you got to be able to you know I don't want to say just go up there swinging. That's not what he was doing, but, but be ready to for swing. yeah, be looking for something and be ready to swing early because you get yourself behind an account and it's just going to be lights out for you. And so he did he did that during that streak. Uh, yeah, so that, as a matter of fact, the, the the 15 hits were all during that. 12-game streak, I believe, and like uh, like I said, I think there were four or five first pitch, and then there was you know 10 total that didn't get past the third pitch of the at bat. So he's being aggressive. He's not being passive. He's you know you haven't he saw one home run. it hasn't necessarily seen a whole lot of power, but that was another thing that I think people you know that's always the last thing to to come that you know general managers and evaluators, scouts always tell you. Um, so he's been solid. I mean, defensively, he's been everything you would have wanted. Offensively, I mean, he's still going to have to learn and grow. Any guy who comes up to the major. league leagues, you know, at this point, you know, with just, you know, now he's, remember, it's less than 20 games in, I want to say. Um, there's going to be ups and downs, and, then, you know, I mean, you talk to Ned and different people, and they're not really so much evaluating him as, you know, what's he gonna be? They're trying to let him play so they can, you know, sort of grow and develop that way. But yeah, he's, I mean, I think he's started to develop sort of that routine, realizing what he's gotta do at this level to be ready on a daily basis. So yeah, I think it's probably a little bit more than what you would've expected offensively from Bubba to this point. I know it's early
0: uh, in his in Bubba's major league career, but can you, can you see him as the starting center fielder on opening day 2020?
1: I mean, I won't say that you can't, I just, uh, the only reason that I question it is, I don't know what else they're going to do with <laughs> with the the different guys. I mean, because by talk you talk about, uh, you know, whether it's other guys they want to bring up and take a look at, whether it's you know, um, moving guys around. Now you've got Dozier playing in the outfield. I mean, you've got. Um, you know Witt is a guy who seems like he's going to play more outfield than anywhere else now with with Nicky and and Mondy in the middle um you don't know what uh, you know if, if Gordo comes back for another year so i think that's the the thing that gives me more hesitance than anything but um but i think it's a possibility yeah that he's you know he's your your guy next year unless there's you know nobody knows when you get into the offseason the moves and uh, the hot stove season heats up what what might happen but yeah i think it's a possibility you mentioned
0: it a moment ago i, I think I think they, they want to see a little more pop in the bat, just a little more power. Uh, if you're going to, uh, Lorenzo Cain wasn't that kind of hitter, but he can he occasionally get one out of the park uh, for the Royals. And and Bubba, uh, he's, he's still sitting at one home run, right? The one off of a yeah. hand, and the, it was a yeah. great swing, yeah. off of a very good pitcher in the ninth inning of a you know of a close situation at, at Cleveland. But you just want to see a little bit more of that. And as you said, that's sort of the last thing that develops for a, for a major league. Oftentimes, not. Alfonso for the Mets, or you know, a couple others that are that are getting it done. So, okay, so you got a big road trip coming up. The, the The Royals are off today on on Thursday here, and they hit the road for a was it ten
1: game? Ten games, three cities. Yeah.
0: Yeah, starting in Minneapolis. Uh, to Boston, to Detroit, and then and then back here. What is um, what's the objective for the Royals? They're, they're not. They're obviously not playing for any kind of championship. They're not playing for wild card position. They're in that. Um, they're in that bottom half of baseball. They had climbed out of the. the you know, the second worst record in the American League, but, you know, they were ahead of only the Orioles in terms of winning percentage. They seem to have started to climb out of that after the All-Star break, played really well, and then have slipped back recently. This most recent series against the Blue Jays was, you know, if if a team that's as lost as the Royals can have a disappointing series, they just did, right, with the, with the Blue Jays. So what's 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 left
1: for the Royals? What's left, and I mean, I think it's probably starting to get a little bit familiar just because it was probably similar at the end of last season, but making decisions or getting more of a valuation on the young guys that you got. I mean, now, and some guys, and for, from a player's perspective, they're getting used to the major leagues and sort of starting to develop into the players that they're going to be. I mean, last year was crucial for a guy like Hunter Dozier, like now we feel like, you know. You probably have a sense of what he can be what sort of a player he can be but last year I don't know that people really came away with that at the end of the season I mean like it was it was a decision whether or not you know to move forward with him going into this season or you know and they took Cuthbert off of the 40 man I mean like I don't know that there was really a a big difference on what you thought you might get from either one of those guys going into the offseason based off of the way last year ended. Um, so now is the time to you know get some of those guys playing time. And like Bubba, you got to play him every day now um, for him to get used to the big leagues, for you guys to get a sense of what he could be, to see if he starts to make some of those improvements. Um, Nicky Lopez, the same thing. He's up here now um, playing every day. I remember talking to him back in, maybe it might have been, uh, well, I was going to say last month, we are in August now, but um, it, was, it was weeks ago. I remember that, just talking about how the transition has gone for him, where, you know, he started off a little kind of hot, and then he had a long drought, and he talked about just sort of getting used to the information and how to use it at the big league level, looking at, you know, preparing every day. I and mean, then you guys talk about preparing. I'm like, well, what do, you, what do you mean about that? He says, well, whether it's going over film, what do your daily routine needs to be. Like, he didn't really worry so much much about that stuff at AAA. Like you, you just sort of go up to the ballpark, take it easy, get yourself ready for the game. But preparing for that day's pitcher, the guys you might see out of the bullpen, what to expect when you go to the plate because you're not just going up there feeling like your talent's gonna take over. I mean, you maybe can do that at AAA, but the big leagues, you need that plus a game plan, plus uh, you know some familiarity with who you're gonna face. So that's all stuff that he was learning. you know, And also just the off factor. I mean, like any ballpark he goes into, that, you know, they haven't played that. He's, you know, going to Seattle, looking around, just being like, wow, you know, I mean like it's I mean, he's still a young kid, you know. Uh, I think he's turned just twenty four. Um, so I mean, you gotta sort of get some of that out of your system. Um, so for some of these young guys, that is gonna be part of the process at the end of the season. Um and I think for the Royals it's also gotta be a, you know, again, evaluating what you got seeing where okay going into the offseason what areas do we have to address that we can't address internally really i think that and then just to get an experience guys like you know keller who you think you know what he could be still gotta get experience Um, make some uh, uh, evaluations on a guy like sparkman in the rotation junis i mean like there's still things of value for the royals and for those players to accomplish these last couple of months but it's just it's not going to be a pennant race it's not going to be a wild card race it's going to be sort of the, you know, the the everyday grind of trying to get this club ready for a year down the line, two years down the line, three years down the line. All right, with hopes of
0: meaningful September baseball in the in the future, more uh, closer uh, close future. Uh, we'll see if that happens. Uh, I think next year's a little too too optimistic. Uh, we'll see a couple years down the road, maybe maybe with the Royals. All right, Lynn Worthy, thanks for stopping by. Uh, When we come back, we will hear from Chiefs cornerback Kendall Fuller and what he thinks about playing the slot corner exclusively. We'll be right back. Hey, it's Blair. Hey, we have a special subscription offer for Sportsbeat KC listeners, unlimited digital access to the Kansas City Stars award-winning sports coverage. Sign up now for one year of Sports Pass for access to all the sports news features and columns we have to offer. And it's only $30. That's a 40% savings off our regular rate. For your convenience, your subscription will automatically renew after the initial term at 50 bucks, unless you tell us to cancel. A lot of subscription services won't tell you that. They'll just sneak it on there. We just told you. Your subscription helps support the sports coverage of KansasCity.com and the Kansas City Star. Please visit KansasCity.com slash SportsBeatKC offer to get this special offer and... And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. The Chiefs had the day off on Thursday, but let's revisit an interview from Wednesday when the media talked to cornerback Kendall Fuller. Since practice started, we haven't seen Fuller line up at the outside corner in the base defense, only the slot or the nickel when the Chiefs were in the sub package. So we asked Steve Spagnuolo, the new defensive coordinator, about this, and he confirmed Fuller would be used almost exclusively in the slot this makes sense for a few reasons teams are in sub packages the majority of time about 80 percent and in 2017 in his second year with Washington Fuller was primarily the slot corner and according to pro football focused he finished the season as a top rated player when he lined up in the slot there's a new defensive staff with new ideas and as Fuller reminded us Spagnuolo will be his fourth defensive coordinator in four NFL seasons so let's hear what Fuller had to say about the slot corner position
2: um, I mean, me, I just always just been controlling what I can control, you know, just going out there, you know, I think somebody had an interview just now. they told me slot is like eighty ninety percent, so you know, just going out there and just knowing the task at hand playing inside just the the different type of guys you gotta guard the the responsibility that you have in there, so just really just focusing on that and just locking in on it, and then just. Like I said, just really just trying to learn the ins and outs of the defense. I think coming in the, when I went to Virginia Tech, we had our DB coach. He just always preached us on um, learning how to be a DB, not just learning how to play one position. And I think that's one thing that you know in this system, the nickel does. You know, you you have to do a lot of different things. They ask you to do a lot of different things. So you know, you out there, you yeah. Some, some people say you're just playing one position, but the way you're playing it is almost as, as if you're playing corner, nickel, safety, and all that, so it's been fun. Whether I'm inside outside, mainly 90% of the time, I'm, I'm in the slot, even if I was going inside outside, so for me, I, thinking of it, I guess people can make a big deal out of it, but I'm being in the slot, just like last year I was in the slot, so it's kind of the same thing for me.
0: I think the quarterback position will remain a work in progress for the Chiefs during training camp. Charvarius Ward and Bashard Breeland have been starters on the the edge, with Demontre Wade working in with the Ones. Wade's been a camp surprise, and look for a story about him and the cornerback position soon by Brooke Pryor. With the move of Tremont Smith from corner to running back, don't be surprised if the Chiefs go shopping for a cornerback sometime during the preseason. Links to the stories we discussed can be found in the show notes and on KansasCity.com. Chiefs coverage is available on Facebook.com slash Red Zone Extra and the Red Zone Extra app. Royals coverage can be found on Facebook.com slash True Blue and the True Blue app. Thanks to producers Kathy Liu and Leah Becerra for putting together today's show. And Friday, Kansas Beat writer Gary Bedore and I will remember beloved Kansas broadcaster Max Falkenstein who passed away earlier this week. This has been Sports Beat KC, the Kansas City Stars sports podcast.